All right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. Her street name is Chelsea Ebert, but we just call her Chelsea Burnett. What's up, Chelsea? Hey, Spencer. So does that make you Siskel? Ooh, he- Siskel died first. I don't know. I don't know if I want that that title, but... Uh, but uh, we can roll with it for now. <laughs> Spencer Siskel. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to do a movie review today. And I think this is uh, something Chelsea and I wanted to start interjecting into the show. Um, we love watching movies. We're able to start going to theaters again. New awesome movies are coming in streaming. Let's, you, you know, it's don't have to think about it. Watch the movie and give our thoughts. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm so stoked to dive into this. So we're going to review today the new Nicolas Cage film, Pig. Uh, it came out a few weeks ago, uh, filmed here in Portland. Thought it was an appropriate, you know, first time to review a movie for the show. And uh, we are happy, we are excited to dive in. Um, but uh, we're going to touch on a real quick news story first. I wasn't sure if we were going to do a news story for the movie review, but Chelsea made a good point. This particular news story is really getting huge. And I think we should talk about um, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, leading the charge, um, fighting for actors. What am I? What am I trying to say here? Better negotiations with this new streaming world we're living in. Yeah, I think um, I read an interesting line in a Hollywood Reporter piece about this. That was, I um, someone was quoted saying like, "The money is going to go somewhere as we move forward with streaming and." Uh, more and more movies being made for the streamers and the money's either going to go in towards the performers or it's going to go to the businesses, the corporations. And uh, now it seems like a line is being drawn in the sand. Now this Scarlett Johansson uh, case uh, that she brought against Disney and the way that they handled the rollout of Black Widow. um, She's claiming her team is claiming that she lost an estimated $50 million because of the way um, that was handled. Uh, to give yeah a quick recap, Black Widow was put out simultaneously in theaters, but as well as a Disney Plus premiere access. Is that what you understand, Spencer? Yes, that, it uh, was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a theatrical release. COVID comes, they keep delaying it because Marvel's a cash cow and they want it in theaters. Um, but I think at a certain point. There's no, there's no fighting the inevitable. Like you're putting Mulan on streaming, you're putting Pixar movies on streaming. You, you, you know, I, if you want to make any money off this movie, you gotta have to do both, and they had, they did both. And it just seems like it, it sounds like it was not uh, delicately handled with the talent. Uh, no one really. It seemed maybe Scarlett Johansson and her team were blindsided by the decision to to for Disney to um, release it the way they did, and they're they're clearly stating that they feel that this was a blatant uh, yeah cash grab uh, or something to um, increase Disney Plus's uh, or Disney's profit shares. There, um, it was so that they could it basically would make the shareholders happy because they could get more more subscribers to right. Disney Plus. And I, and I think that was certainly part of the plan too. I mean, I just think honestly, they were like, we just need to make money off this movie mm-hmm. and we can't wait forever for these theaters to open. 
but yes, increasing the stock around Disney Plus is the key. But yeah, like you said, they're handling it really bad. The CEO, Bob Chappick, has built a reputation in a short amount of time for being a pretty hard-nosed, hard-nosed guy and difficult to work with. Um, you know, his comments are, are so insulting, basically being like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but it's something to the effect of, I'm disappointed of this attitude yeah. when everyone during COVID went through such a tough time. Like, shut up. Oh, dude. it's really throwing her Scarlett Johansson under the bus. Yeah. It's trying like to Disney make her out to seem have like money a, to burn. Mm-hmm. It's trying to make her out to seem like a total heartless villain who only cares about her pocketbook. And I, I just think she and and her team are. I, I think they're smart. They're kind of ahead of the curve here to make Disney answer for this decision because they're saying that they didn't fulfill the initial contract that they signed with Scarlett Johansson for Black Widow. And their counter is that they were forced to change the initial contract, the initial idea they had for how this movie was going to be promoted and released because of COVID-19 pandemic which is all fair. I understand that's a very fair point that they were just trying to roll with the punches. But um, as I was talking actually to Micah about this story, he was saying like, it seems like because with the future of the pandemic, the Delta variant, whatnot, I mean, just as more and more people are becoming comfortable watching movies, just being released straight to streaming, I think contracts are going to have to be a lot more like um, up to date, like uh, lawyers are going to have to be thinking a lot more about the current, I think, climate and what this means for their, um, what this means for the performers, um, the talent, the studios. Um, and they'll have to, I guess, take into consideration that streaming, whether people like it or not, is just becoming the the go-to. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know why Disney's making this so difficult when Warner and HBO like got ahead of this. Like they, I remember last year when they announced it, we're going to be releasing some. They were like the first big one to say we're going to release these movies in theaters and on streaming, and people were blown away. They were like, "This is unprecedented," but they made sure to take care of the talent because they wanted to avoid problems like this. And like Disney, there's no excuse. You should know better. And to top it off. We're also hearing that Peter Feige is, is pissed. And mm-hmm. if you don't know who he is, he is like the mastermind of the MCU. Mm-hmm. He is runs the show. He's he, probably very close with all of those yes. lead Avenger uh, actors. Yeah. He's very open about how pissed he is. It's mm-hmm. like, why are we treating the talent, the MCU talent like this? Um, this is Disney's digging a hole. And with Emma Stone threatening to sue... Um, yeah, I, mean, I heard I, the timing of this signing for Cruella with the the Cruella sequel that she's she's right. lined up to do. Uh, yes, what I would love to be a fly on the wall in the negotiations room right now at Disney. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's a mess. Um, this is what happens when you let a company get too big. Uh, I saw a chart recently that really laid out everything Disney owns, and it was. So much more than I even realized, and I knew that they already owned a lot of stuff. Like, uh, we gotta, we, we probably need to break Disney up. But that's that's an, maybe this is the beginning of that. But yeah, possibly. I I still think, I mean, it's 
uh, I could see on the surface, it's hard to say boo-hoo, Scarlett Johansson, you already made like in the $20 million range for making this film. What, what are, I mean, what do you have to complain about? But I really do think at the end of the day, it comes down to setting a precedent. And if the, if you can't lead corporations like Disney to believe that they can just end up steamrolling over um, the faces of these films, because they're nothing without the, I mean, without these actors who have built this franchise, who have made it as popular as it's become. So um, they're not um, easily just... Uh, just, uh, what's the word? You can't just like, I don't know, treat them like you could just replace them at the drop right. of a hat. So, well, and l- listen, I'm, I'm not one to cater to the lamentations of rich people. I mean, you know, Car- <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's got plenty of money, but one, it's about the market. What is her value? You know, don't rip her off. You know, is it absurd how much money actors make? Probably, but that's the market that's i don't you know mm-hmm. um also you pointed out off air like she didn't just keep all that money she she has employees probably she has she, people on a payroll oh, yeah. yeah she has to dispense that money um probably all to more people than we can even fathom right i mean so there's probably other people's livelihood at stake here and you know look if disney's this big steamroller company if they're treating someone as big as scarlett johansson badly there's probably people that can't fight back they're treating badly and sometimes you need someone like Scarlett Johansson and Emma Stone that have power to start making a difference so yes um, perfectly put this is probably not what you come to your movie podcast for but I'll step off my my soapbox now (laughs) (laughs) we're coming for you Disney (laughs) I guess watch out Bob Chappick (laughs) uh all right so Let's take a little break, and then we'll come back with our movie review. Okay. What are you thinking? I remember every meal I ever cooked. I remember every person I ever served. You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. my pig all right we're back so here we go our first ever movie review 2021's pig starring uh the enigma that is nicholas cage <laughs> that's one way to put it it was co-written and directed by michael cernoski um this was his first uh, his dir- directorial debut for movies he had done tv episodes and he's done a lot of editing he's been an editor for a long time but he co-wrote this film, directed it, um, and most interestingly for us, chose Portland as a backdrop. And I, it, I forgot to look it up. Is he from Portland? What, what sparked that? Do you know? Chelsea? I actually really don't know. I, um, I guess I, could, I 
I wish I was still working on the last project I was on because I was working with a few people who actually um, did work on this film. The uh, the line producer, Stephen Weissman, who's um, I saw his name in the opening credits. I was so happy to see that. Wish I could could have asked him uh, tomorrow on Monday in the office, but I, I'll try to find out. Maybe we could touch base on this again. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what brought um, the filmmaker to Portland, but he was I, I think he you can tell he really likes the city. It was shot very um, lovingly. In the script, there's a lot of specific mentions of things around the city too. And Nicolas Cage even pronounces the Willamette River correctly. He doesn't call it the Willamette. I, I love so. that, yeah. Um, I will say I did see he worked on at least one episode of Grimm. Mm. So he maybe, if he's not from Portland, perhaps he worked here before, thought it would be a good a good spot. Also distributed by Neon, who is kind of becoming the new A24. They are really pumping out some awesome movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, Good Time, which we've talked about on the show. I, Tanya, which I really enjoyed. I don't think we've ever talked about it. I liked that movie, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Parasite, which, as we all know, won Best Picture um, recently. And I thought was just a fantastic movie. I, I hate that I put it off as long as I did. Um, so Neon, killing it. Really, you know, I think it goes west. They did that, too. Mm. So, OK, let's talk real quick about when we first heard about this this movie being filmed here. I think it started filming in 2019 and we heard Nicolas Cage is here filming a movie. What's the movie about? Well, here's the synopsis of the film. Nicolas Cage is a former, I guess, semi-famous executive level chef in Portland. Mm-hmm. Something happens that makes him become like a hermit yes and he leaves the city he's living in the hills in the woods in a cabin and has a truffle pig and he lives with this truffle pig and he and the truffle pig uh, <laughs> go around the woods and find truffles um the pig gets kidnapped mm-hmm. pignapped pig <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the pig gets pignapped <laughs> and he is forced to face his past by returning to Portland. Now, that's the synopsis of the movie, and we heard that description when he started filming here. So, of course, my thoughts immediately went to, here's another ridiculous Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. This is going to be a John Wick Taken-style movie about him going after a pig, and we'll have a good, fun time watching this movie. And, oh my goodness, we were wrong. Well, yeah, which is not to say there aren't some moments of levity or humor in the movie there there are but it's it's much uh it's it's much deeper and like melancholic than um the plot would lead you to believe i mean we were giggling talking about pig napping but the scene and i know we're going to do a little bit more go through scene by scene but that scene when the pig is taken is really harrowing it's it's like the emotions um on the screen are all very believable and the stakes seem like legitimate well said no absolutely and that was a great example to pull um of a scene that was like really emotional so okay real quick what i want to do is let's just talk about nick cage for a second Mm -hmm. he is asked i mean i was just talking to my dad about this the other day he's got to have one of the most fascinating careers of any actor of all time he he comes out in the 80s he's a coppola but doesn't want to use the coppola name and he's trying to be this really interesting, artsy, deep actor. And he gets a reputation very quickly for 
kind of being the first Edward Norton. He wants to rewrite everything. He's got all these ideas, and he wants to get the ideas in. He's on Raising Arizona. The Coens say they will never work with him again because he drove them crazy. So late 80s, early 90s, you're hearing this, what a brilliant actor he is. He's starting to do some more interesting movies. You know, he was in Moonstruck yes. in the late 80s, got a lot of attention there. Um, it Could Happen to You, the true story about the lottery winner that comes back and he's trying to give the money to the waitress. He's in all these films where he's getting a lot of attention. People are like, it's going to happen. Nicolas Cage is going to happen. Finally wins an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I think... I'm not going to get super into it. My opinion, that was a weak year, and that really <laughs> led to him winning that award. And it seems like he's like, well, I got my Oscar. Time to make some money. And he goes on this epic second half of the 90s run where he is cashing paychecks like crazy. He does The Rock, which I love The Rock. He's in Con Air, Face Off. I mean, and all these movies. he changes himself physically. He turns more into like a macho man like i i just remember seeing that big change in his builds as well um as he moved more into the action star oh yeah i think we were all surprised when con air came out and he was really great shape Mm -hmm. but always he's just ridiculous like you watch face off and you're just watching it because you're like this is insane but it's entertaining because how insane it is so going to the early 2000s uh i mentioned nicholas cage making a lot of money well he had a little problem where he also liked to spend a lot of money. And so he started to just take everything. And I I mean, in that transition, he had gone in 60 seconds. This is an entertaining movie. Are you a fan of uh, Matchstick Men? You know, I've never seen that movie, but I always heard it was really good. Oh, that's yeah. a, my favorite. That's my favorite performance right. of his. Yeah. And he was still doing some of the more tour stuff, you know, like what he did at ad- ad- Adaptation, which I think was O2. But going into the 2000s, I mean, he's just like making The Sorcerer's Apprentice and he's just making these. National Treasure, which has, Which was a good yeah. movie. National Treasure and Lord of War were, I thought, two good movies in the middle of a bunch of nonsense. And then he does the Left Behind movie and I was like, oh, he's he's done. Yeah. This is it. His career's over. But something happened where he kind of embraced being the guy that does ridiculous movies well the ridiculous because he embraced it he stopped doing bad ridiculous movies and started doing awesome ridiculous movies now i will say i think 2010 he did joe which was a small independent Mm -hmm. film he's really good in that movie i haven't seen that um but yeah in the recent years he's done mandy which was awesome yeah that'll knock your socks (laughs) off (laughs) and then he i recently watched that absurd movie wally's wonderland or willie's wonderland (laughs) Which is basically, I'll just give you the premise. He's a stranger that rolls into town, has to work overnight in a haunted Chuck E. Cheese-style place where the animatronics are haunted. He doesn't have a line of dialogue, and he's just taking them out systematically one by one. Sounds absurd. It is. I had a great time watching it. It is compelling. Yeah, you. Uh, he's he, he he's a presence in the movie, even without having to say a, a single a single line. But. Um... Yeah, those Chuck E. Cheese characters. Yeah, so we've come a long way from him making like Drive Angry and Bangkok Dangerous to to making Mandy, which was awesome. Yeah, he's really trying. It, it seems that he's uh, being a little more picky about the auteurs that he um, wants to work with. Sure. And, um, and I think they're bringing out really soulful performances in him. Yeah, no, agreed. So it's no wonder that I think we thought Pig was going to be 
another ridiculous movie. And that's not it at all. It, like you, you used the word levity and there's a lot of levity in this movie. Now, is there, is there funny parts? Yes. There's some, some one-liners. I think one that had the, I saw this in a living room theater. It was great to be back in theaters. Um, there's a line where one of the characters is like, well, where are you going to go now? And he goes, you go to Seattle and Nicholas Cage looks up and goes, fuck Seattle. And they both nod. If you're, if you're from Portland, that's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the I I have to give some credit to um, the actor Alex Wolf, um, who I think the biggest thing he'd been in to date was Hereditary. Absolutely, he was the teenage son of Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, really haunting performance in that. Like, oh, I even I'm getting goosebumps just thinking now about this the stuff they put that character through in that movie. Um, but uh, I was really happy to see him in this, and to he. He had a very believable turn, too. He kind of comes on the scene as this smarmy, uh, pretty heartless, kind of just in in the restaurant business, in it for the money and the glory. He's working with uh, Nicolas Cage's character, Robin. Um, he's collecting, he's buying the truffles off of him. They've worked out some kind of deal there, which he's then um, selling to the various uh, restaurants around Portland. And um, I I think he's he's he brought a lot of comedy. Just even the use of his is it a Camaro that he's driving around? If I the recall, movie? if I recall, it was a bright yellow like SS souped up Camaro, which stand really stands out in a lot of ways. Not only does it stand out in the first scene in the woods where you're seeing this tranquil place uh, where Nicolas Cage and his pig are now living, um, and then even throughout the course of the movie as they're driving through Portland, I mean that that kind of that's not really what Portland's all about, that kind of flash. And um, I think uh, there are people who live in Portland who are all about that um, and are interested in it, but it's not the first thing that comes to mind. Like, I think still a lot of people think of more like granola, crunchy people that live in Portland. Right. And that dichotomy you brought up is really good because you're right. This movie does open up very tranquil. It opens up with Nicolas Cage in his cabin with the pig and they're walking around the woods and you know, no words are spoken and you just hear trees and the title pig very softly appears in the center of the screen. And then all of a sudden this ostentatious car pulls up and this ostentatious kid gets out and he seems, so he seems to care about Nicolas Cage. He even points it out. He goes, you're not speaking to me because I'm the only person that ever comes and talks to you, checks on you. This is a great relationship we have, you know? But it still comes back around to him because I was sort of like, oh, he does care about him. But it's so telling in that line. He's like, I don't want to be the person to come out here and find out that you, you've died. And it's like, oh, it's still really all about him. He just doesn't want the trauma of discovering a dead Nicolas Cage in the woods. <laughs> well, that's interesting, Chelsea. I didn't think about that. But yeah, maybe that was a little selfish of him. I, I took them as saying, you should appreciate me more. But maybe there was a little bit of that, too. But I think there's I, I think we're both reading something in that character. I think think he was very complicated he's obviously got a lot of daddy issues that we get into later in the movie yeah. and um so there's some abandonment issues there or not feeling appreciated and um uh, it's yeah. yeah i like alex wolf so i, I do want to say right here we're this is our first movie review we're still kind of trying to fill out how we want to do these we're going to do our best not to do any major spoilers but we will definitely try to give you a heads up if any spoilers are coming um and you know, if you're somebody who's seen this movie and want to hear our take on it, enjoy. If you're looking for a reason to watch this movie, we will definitely give you a heads up. Uh, so 
movie. Okay, so let's just let me let me talk about this for a minute. This movie is you would like I said you would never guess it. Hearing Nicholas Cage was in it, what it was about. This movie is about grief. Mm-hmm. It's about grief and trauma and processing that and how different people process it in different ways. And even more interesting, I remember saying to Lacey, I, so look, I really had to sit on this movie for, for an evening. Like Lacey and I went and saw it in theater and I, had, I, I got it, but I had questions. And we can talk about certain scenes that were questionable. And once I processed some stuff, it made more sense. And I remember calling her the next day and giving my thoughts on some things. One of the things I said was, you know, Nicolas Cage kind of goes through the seven stages of grief throughout this movie. And Lacey paused and goes, oh, my God, you're right. He did. He really hits all of them in different mm-hmm. sections. Um, but it's not just about his grief. There's a lot of other characters in the movie that talk about their grief. This whole movie's theme is processing grief. Yes. And I also really like what the um, writer and uh, director, what they did in using the Nicolas Cage character, his name's Robin, the impact he made on every single person that he met along the way in his in his journey. I feel that he positively changed people's lives in this. I don't want to call him like a messiah character, but it was kind of, I don't know. It was like he was reminding people what really matters he's a very like stripped down like ugly kind of brutal character he's got caked blood on his face for the whole movie dirty i just i all i could think about was how bad he smelled probably but you uh, it's like he forced his presence forced people to change their way of thinking about things and to get back to kind of stuff that really matters um was was my takeaway from that uh, but i like what you mentioned about the the seven stages of grief i did not i didn't see it that way when i first watched it but now it makes total sense and I, i'm totally picking up on that yeah and i won't spoil but just a prime example i think the one that made me realize it was you know the main scene at the end of the movie he's he's bargaining hmm. i mean that's you know and then there's acceptance and and everything and you know, you have remnants of a woman, and you don't know anything about this woman that was in Robin's life. And I think again, because that's just not the point. It's 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 the it's the fact that he has the grief um, and the trauma. So we, like you said, Pig gets kidnapped. He's forced to find a way back into Portland. Uh, what did you 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 said you liked the way Portland was shot? I thought it for the most part it was pretty subtle. There were certain streets I recognized, mm-hmm. uh, but I liked that it wasn't so in your face about portland you know there weren't crazy shots of the the deer sign and yeah and everything i mean there were certain shots flying over the bridges that could have been anywhere it very true and i like that they i think they wanted to just drop the audience in portland thus why i think there are so many references to uh, like mentioning the Willamette or t- when there's a scene when Nicolas Cage is talking about um, the big the big one, the big earthquake that's going to hit. And it's something that's very top of mind to a lot of people that live in Portland. Like we're going to be screwed <laughs> when this happens. I don't think our city is prepared for it. But like it's just kind of dropped there. And like if 
if you know Portland, if you don't, I mean, I think you can still understand what they're they're going for. I'm I'm it reminds it reminded me of like when a movie takes place in L.A. and it gets people so excited to be like, I love this movie and how it represents L.A., even though like I've never really spent any time in L.A., but I love movies that are set in L.A. because it taps into, I guess, an energy of the city. And I felt that this movie also tapped into an energy of Portland that I think anyone I really think anyone could get something out of. Hundred percent. Like, so he comes back into town, and they start to go through the the restaurant underground, <laughs> which I, I enjoyed. But the first place they go is a food cart pod. Well, if you don't know, like Portland is known for having tons of food cart pods, mm-hmm. and we have so many that I really tried to place this one, and I couldn't figure out which one it was. I thought it was one of the ones on Hawthorne for a second, but it it wasn't, uh, and. Uh, that just, but I still got the Portland vibe because of the, that's what we're known for, these mm-hmm. food carts. But then when he goes to the higher class restaurant with his old employee, I mean, that was clearly supposed to be the Pearl District. And if you don't know, the Pearl District is uh, north downtown. Um, it's kind of become a hoity-toity area. There's a lot of high-end restaurants and, and um, apartments and, and things like that. You'll see nicer cars in that part of part of the city. Uh, the something that using the food scene in Portland, which I think is probably something that Portlanders are most proud of, is our restaurant uh, foodie scene. Um, I, I using that as the a big uh, plot device in where Robin comes from. He comes from this foodie scene. That's where he gained a lot of his respect. It was. It, I I think it really worked uh, because it's I, I, people f- food is very um, emotional when they get they really get to the heart of that in this story um, as it, it goes along and uh, people love a love a good meal. I mean, that's kind of there's a big theme of that as it goes throughout like you'll never forget one of the best meals of your life and the conversation that comes from that the camaraderie um the love and so it there was a great it wasn't just slamming foodie culture and foodie scene it could have been easy to do that to say look at these snobs look at these people that care way too much about michelin stars or whatnot it, it, yes, it looked at that side and kind of the pretentious uh, people that are in that scene and all this fake admiration and respect that's on the surface. And But it also shows the flip side of really the good that comes out of sharing a great meal, a great experience in a restaurant. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I, I was pondering that since I saw the movie. This, this film's theme is grief why food was used as a vehicle for that, I wasn't sure. But it does kind of connect everyone. And you're right. What you just said is, you know, you could snub your nose at the high-class food part of it. But, you know, Nicolas Cage, when he cooks, you see the passion and the love in it. And that's why, one of the best scenes in the movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they go to a high-end restaurant and he asks the chef to come out. And he, the chef is so just taken aback and just uh, so proud to meet Nicolas Cage, or you, what you think is meeting him. He's like, oh my God, you're this, this chef. This is, I'm flattered. And Nicolas Cage remembers him from when he worked for him. And he, he fired him, right? He I fired think that him. was, yeah. 
And uh, the name of the actor is uh, David Nell, and he's been around for years. Like, mm-hmm. he was in Total Recall and Splash, uh, but he plays Chef Finway. And it's a really funny scene where Nicolas Cage reminds him he wanted to break a sports pub. And he kind of points out, you didn't stick with that dream. You didn't stick with that passion. And now you've got this restaurant. And, of course, David Nell is at holding that dumb smile on his face. <gasps> It's so good. It's so good. It's probably the best scene in the movie. Oh, because he's just been red. Like, he's yeah. like, you, uh, this is a side of me I've been pushing down. I just, yeah, I th- I thought that dream was silly and it was smarter to follow this more like uh, foodie kind of uh culture where where where's the soul in the cooking anymore um he said well there's there's no money in just cooking for the fun of it or to open something because it's it's something i maybe um it's just a little a little dream like this little pub who who wants to go to pubs anymore people want to be like dazzled at these fancy restaurants in the pearl where we serve your dish filled with smoke inside of uh, a bulb that we bring to your table right um and uh yeah, that actor. I'm glad you mentioned his name. He 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 deserves kudos because, uh, yeah, that though that smile when you just see his his heart is breaking, but he is just keeping this little right. silly smile on his face. One other scene I wanted to ask you about prior to that. So there's a really odd scene, the oddest scene in the movie. Nicholas Cage goes to an underground restaurant fighting fight club. It's like a fight club. <laughs> I that scene worked the least for it was yeah. my least favorite in the movie. I don't really know what it was for. Did you come up with any reasoning behind it because I think I've got some ideas. I no, please go okay. for it. I don't know. So first and foremost, when Nicolas Cage goes to the food cart pod, he goes to meet a man named Edgar. You don't know anything about Edgar, but Edgar's got his finger on the pulse of everything with the restaurant industry. And he tells Nicolas Cage, "Your name doesn't hold any power anymore." Well, Nicholas Cage goes to this underground fighting ring to get information about his pig, and he puts his name on the wall and shows that it still commands respect. I think that was part of it. Two, it still seems like an odd scene, but I, I wonder if the punishment he takes is a metaphor for what we put ourselves through when going through grief. That was just a thought I had. I think it's mostly about showing his name still power, why they chose that. That scene, that's just my guess. If anything, it showed a very cool part of Portland that I've never seen on film. I mean, even dropping the... the, um, He said this was under Pioneer Courthouse Square. Is that correct or something? Right, which I don't think there's anything under that. (laughs) I don't know if there is or not. Made me curious to want to try and uh, find it. That's certainly not Um, where they drove up when he walked in. That, mm -mm. That looked like somewhere on the east side and the courthouse on the west side, but yeah. Um, but again, it kind of goes to show how they wanted to just drop you into into Portland without having to ex- explain too much. It's just like, go along with it. These are kind of the quirks, the little idiosyncrasies about the city. Um, and here's something you've never seen before. So the, probably the thing I got out of the most from that Fight Club scene was I really liked the setting, the location they chose was was um and and I think the power came from the writing the name on the wall to show no I still matter I'm still here but I like your take on him taking that beating as being another kind of stage in the grief process but so I think we should probably bring up now Alex Wolf um uh, his name is Amir in the in the mm-hmm. movie his uh his father played by Adam Arkin, pretty 
pretty prevalent role in the movie. He's, he's kind of involved in a, in a lot of it. it. You know, Mir has some some issues with his father that that has to be worked through. And Nicolas Cage, well, the father has to process some grievance of his own. Yes. Going back to the grief part of the of the film. He's also heavily involved in some of the main plot points. I do want to say the actor, it was Adam Arkin, I, he was the one person that I just really didn't, I even hate saying this, but I, I don't think he did a very good job. I, he was really stiff. Um, oh, that's so funny. I had a very different take oh, really, on please. that. No, no. I, I want you to finish. Why well, you I mean, that was, was pretty stiff. much it. I just, I just, I just didn't think his acting was, was, was very good. And he's, I mean, you look up his IMDb, he's been in the business a long time, but I mean, it took me out of the movie. With, but for the first time you meet him and Nicolas Cage and him are sitting in his in his lounge in the house, um, I was just like, Jesus, guy's acting is really pulling me out of this movie. By the way, where was that house? Gosh, yeah. It had to be in the hills somewhere, Must I guess. Be. That's, but my yeah. God, gorgeous house. Mm-hmm. Um, I, okay, I agree with you. It did change. There was a big tonal shift. Something changed in the movie when he entered. Um, uh I but I it worked for me whatever he was doing it it, it was maybe a more wooden performance um but and maybe we won't spoil this part of like why uh, Amir and his father are what exactly they're grieving we'll let we'll let the yeah. audience get into that yeah but and why there's been sort of this rift in their in their family and their relationship but um I. I think his his sort of stoicism or woodenness, it does pay off. I, I was uh, in the scene when Nicolas Cage prepares that meal for him. And maybe I won't even get too much more into that either. But uh, that is like my favorite scene in, in the film. Um, and I think he pulled off what he had to do. Uh, that actor, Adam Arkin, I think he... In that scene, eating that meal and the the emotion he had to portray in that, it does kind of come out of left field, but it it really worked for me. Yes, I will say that was the best acting he did, eating the meal and then the subsequent confession that that happened afterwards. I thought he that he was really good there, but mm-hmm. um, the meeting Nicholas Cage, being in a study when 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 his son comes and knocks on the door, I was like, uh, I could have, I don't know, I wish somebody who acted a little better was in that role, but um, any other scenes that really stood out to you that you wanted to touch on Chelsea? Um, I think just overall um, there, there's some lovely shots when the, when the Portland rain comes like the rain in the fall, uh, this movie was filmed in the fall and it's very evident in terms of the autumnal leaves you see everywhere, but there are some great shots of kind of like, dusk and like as the rain's coming and as Nicolas Cage is making his way through the city he's stolen a bike at one point to get around and um those are just moments I really could have like oh my god really... the bike part I forgot about that <laughs> yeah that, just, ah! that was the most Portland the most Portland scene in the movie is Nicolas Cage fights with with Amir and they split off and so he loses his ride he, he loses can't. his ride because he was driving around everywhere Takes a bike off a front porch. And by the way, Nicholas Cage looks like a homeless person. Mm-hmm. Takes a bike off the front porch. Somebody comes off side screen saying, hey, that's my bike. Nicholas Cage just goes, ah, and it cuts the scene. That was the most Portland scene in the movie. It was very funny. Um, 
And um, but I I am rambling here. I basically I just want to highlight how beautiful I thought there was some beautiful cinematography happening in that. And um, th- I I think using the rain um as seeing it as kind of this uh cleansing cleansing yeah and um and the 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 light that was being captured kind of you're seeing the story you're feeling the story his quest is coming to a close it was all just like everything was just working the very um uh i, I just thought it was all in perfect like symmetry yeah and i think some of the cinematography like i said some of the helicopter shots going over the bridges the the wide shots of Nicolas Cage walking through the woods, really capturing what it looks like outside of the city, towards the gorge and everything, um, really, really pretty. Um, I forgot about the scene. He visits the home he lived in, mm-hmm. and there's a young child sitting on the back porch. And yeah, it's about the persimmon. Yeah, tree. persimmon tree used to be there, and the little kid's like, I don't know, it's not here anymore, and kind of revisiting the past. Yeah, I don't think they ever really talk about the breakdown in Nicolas Cage's past and what made him leave and why he's so many severed connections. Obviously this woman he loved and a partner of his, yeah. it seemed like they were romantic and, and business partners and in the, in a restaurant and he visits the baker. Yeah. Who clearly used to work for them or knew them. It's a lot of subtle things. You have to infer a lot on your own, mm-hmm. but I, I'm fine with that because I don't think the heavy detailed, the, the, you know, what would seem like heavily detailed plot points, it's not relevant. You're supposed to focus on the grief. You can you can infer enough to understand that. Uh, another another scene, I'll be more specific when you ask me if there is a scene that really stood out to me. Another scene that I really loved, really worked for me was um, when uh, Alex Wolf's character brings uh, Nicolas Cage back to his apartment um, and they sh- they share a meal. He cooks him breakfast. Oh my god, the, the view from his window. I'm like, I know exactly mm, where that is in mm-hmm. downtown. This is so weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even just kind of that apartment is is kind of gives you this sort of sterile feeling. You get a sense this is a guy who doesn't really spend a lot of time in his apartment. He probably is just out schmoozing out in the city most of the time. But it's a nice apartment, great view. But um, but they're sitting there eating this meal. Alex Wolf is kind of ashamed of his cook. He's like, I don't really do a lot of cooking. I'm not even sure what kind of breakfast they're eating, but they're there. And he opens up about his parents and this this story of them, the one date night they had that he remembers they didn't come back fighting from. And uh, and it was because they went to this restaurant who where we are. We Nicholas Cage, okay. Cage made the meal. I don't yeah. think that's spoiling too much, but he's opening up to him. And he doesn't know that it was Robin's restaurant. I don't think I don't think Amir knows that it was. Oh, really? I I, I thought he says to him, may, "Okay, okay." I might remember that wrong, but yeah. But it's great. It has a great payoff. I mean, they circle back to that in yeah. in another one of our favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. I mean, the the climax of the film. So um, that uh, I think that all is played out very uh, very delicately, very right. beautifully. I will say that apartment scene is where he brings up the disaster stuff. He brings up the their offshore earthquake, and uh, then he goes, "We go closer to Mount Hood," and he goes, "It's an active volcano." <laughs> that was a little <laughs> that even that irritated Lacey. So Lacey's father is a scientist, <laughs> and he even said, "Your father-in-law, Chelsea, yeah, uh, um, she he's been you know 
this this potential tsunami is not as not as sure as we're you know led to believe and also Mount Hood has been pretty dormant for a while so that was a little overplay but it was a funny scene yeah yeah it was it was a good scene of seeing those two characters finally kind of having a moment to bond the last thing I think I wanted to bring up Chelsea and get your thoughts on I thought it was odd that the movie closes with he plays a recording of his deceased wife partner and she had recorded a cover of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on fire now I love that song. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Springsteen songs. I don't know why they picked that song. I don't know the subject matter of that song, what relevance it had. Did the director just like that song and wanted? I, I don't know. I was like, I love this song, but I don't understand why you picked it to close this movie out. It's funny too the timing of things. Like I had, I don't know if that's the exact cover that I heard, um, but I was listening to some random Spotify. Uh, like indie playlist and a cover of I'm on fire played that sounded almost exactly like that. So um, uh, Chelsea, that, that, it, that song's been covered 500 times. So. And I liked what I heard. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very sweet, like kind of folk version folk cover of the song. Um, I, I, I yeah, I'm always really bad about deciphering lyrics or their meanings and why things were chosen when it comes to music other than it's had a mood. It was a, a sweet little mood to end the movie It on. was. It was. So that's our thoughts on the movie. And I think what we're going to go ahead and do is, you know, our normal, at the end of every episode, we give you a recommendation on a one, two, three scale. Three being you have to see this movie. Two, you should watch it, but you can get around to it when you have time. And one, we don't know if we recommend it or you should avoid it, uh, you know, or watch at your own risk. I think I'm going to give this a three. I just thought it was a really well-made movie. It was refreshing. I've never seen anything like it. I was shocked at how good it was. I was shocked at how deep it was and how emotional it got. I'm excited to see something else from this director. And listen, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But do not be surprised if Nicolas Cage is nominated for an Oscar. This was the best acting he's done since the early 90s, and mm. I was absolutely blown away. I back you up 100% with that. I also would love to see this script be nominated in Best Original Screenplay. Yes, that crossed my mind as well. Um, I, I, yes. Ooh, I would just love it. Um, anything else you wanted to say? What's your number? Up your, my number... I went into this movie thinking I was going to feel a two on it, and I left it feeling very much a three, and I would encourage everyone to go see it. as I give it a three rating as well. Um, I Something about the trailer, I don't know. I, it uh, The trailer didn't get me as excited about this as I wanted it to. I think I thought it was going to be a lot more pretentious than it was based on the trailer. Maybe I wasn't picking up on maybe the... Um, it was trying to uh, be funny about that, but I, I didn't I didn't see it. So I went into it kind of a little skeptical, but I had heard so many great things that that was uh, and I loved that it was filmed here in our hometown. So um, but yeah, I, I'm walking away from it with a three. I think it's um, it, it just is a beautiful short, sweet movie that knew exactly what it wanted to say, didn't stray, didn't deviate from um from its i think main message of of grief and um and what it means to be uh respected too i think a big a big thing in this is uh respect and really what what that means and why it matters 
Yeah, also not a long movie. I mean, it's like an hour 36, I think. You know, you can get a lot of depth and emotion out of this short movie. So it's not going to take up a lot of your day. Uh, definitely, if you have time, I think it's available to rent on streaming and it's in theaters. But yeah, Pig, really, really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Yeah, please seek it out. It's We need we need more content like this that being made. And I would love to see Nicolas Cage be offered more more roles in this in this vein. Yep. All right, there's our first movie review. Uh, I've been meaning to say this, but uh, now that we've got this many episodes out, so so we are on Twitter. Um, you can find us just the Marquee Spotlight, but if you know if you're on Twitter, it's at the Marquee Spot LT, all all smushed together. I, I didn't have enough space, you know, spots to put Spotlight, so I just LT. Um, we also have a email, the Marquee Spotlight at gmail.com. Feel free to send us. Your thoughts, anything you want to hear us talk about, you know, whatever. You know, I, I check it pretty regularly. Chelsea has access to it, so uh, love to hear your thoughts. And we have an Instagram now too. Uh, Chelsea <laughs> has created us an Instagram, and that is at, at the Marquee Spotlight, all spelled out, just like our full podcast name at the Marquee Spotlight on Instagram. Yeah, so follow us on everything. Engage with us. Love to hear. Love to hear your thoughts. So. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it uh, for this movie review. Chelsea, any any closing thoughts? Uh, God, that pig was really cute. I think we <laughs> need to talk about how cute that pig was. <laughs> it was a cute pig. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. For the Marquee Spotlight, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Bye. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>